Thank you, Bonnie. Really enjoy that song. Those who are going to junior church can be dismissed this time. Go out that back door over there. The rest of you can stand, find somebody to greet and tell them, hey, doesn't matter if it's gloomy outside, there's sunshine in here. See that? <laughs> Jesse, how are you doing? Time's up. Let's find our seats again. If you're new or visiting today, we want to welcome you. I'd also uh, tell you that uh, I started a series this summer called Sermons by Request. You could, you could fill out a little form that uh, stated, I always wanted to hear a sermon about... And then you could fill in the blank with whatever it is, whatever topic, uh, subject, uh, Bible passage, verse, anything that you thought, man, I'd always like to hear a sermon on that. And, and I received so many good requests that I decided to extend uh, the series into the fall here for uh, several weeks. Um, and uh, I, have to, I had one caveat when I started this is that, that well, I had a couple caveats actually, but one of the caveats was uh, that I, I generally receive so many different requests that I, I probably will not be able to get around to all of them, and that is still true even though we're extending this into the fall. So if I don't do yours, uh, please don't take offense. It was, it's nothing personal. Um, I just I couldn't get them all, and, and you just have to say, tough. You know, uh, or some, or something like that. It, 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 it. But um, the request for today said, "I don't think the Bible ever uses the term self-esteem. Is that just psycho mumbo jumbo, or is it real? What should a Christian do in terms of how they think about themselves?" It's a good question. To answer that, we're, we're going to take a look at a rather strange story from the Old Testament book of Judges. So I'd encourage you to open up to Judges chapter 3 because I won't be hitting all of the verses and, and you can kind of follow along as we're doing that. But to get us started, I'm actually going to read a verse from Romans chapter 12. Uh, it does not use the word self-esteem, but the concept of what you think about yourself is definitely there. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, 
as God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. Father God, again, we, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for um, the fact that through it and through your spirit, you teach us, you guide us, you build us, you grow us. And so, God, we just uh, pray that you would be able to do your good work in us this morning. We know that, that each person here has uh, traveled um, uh, their own uh, path and, and, and their own journey in terms of life and the experiences and the things that have gone on. But, God, you uh, come to us with your grace and your mercy, and you want to bring us into your family. And so we just pray that we would learn even more about what that means and be able to live by that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a, a question I, I want to start with on this, and the, and the question is, if someone was able to build a machine that had the power to transform you into any other person, any other person in the entire world, who would you want to be? Maybe you've had dreams of wishing you were uh, some famous person, maybe like a, a big athlete, you know, LeBron James or Patrick Mahomes or, or, or a tennis player, Serena Williams or something like this. You know, I, 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 when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be an NFL running back, right? You know, and I remember my dreams uh, uh, of that. And seventh grade was the first year we were able to play football. And I went out for the team and, and, and trotted out on the field for the very first practice. And the coach looked at me and said, you're too little to play football. And uh, that was the end of that. He didn't give me a chance. Uh, didn't let me, uh, uh, not even in practice, let alone a game, give me a chance to be running back or any other position uh, for that matter. So apparently some dreams are crushed sooner than others. But, but in this scenario, you don't have to worry about that because, see, this machine is going to tra tra change you into the person that is good at what other thing you want to do. Maybe for some of you, you'd prefer to be a superstar entertainer, you know, a big name actor or actress like, you know, Chris Hensworth or, or Jennifer Lawrence. Or maybe you want to be, you know, a, a, a famous singer like Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber. Okay, nobody really wants to be Justin Bieber's. So we'll skip it, you know, you get, you get the idea. Um, or maybe some of you think along another line. You know, I'd rather be like this, you know, super rich businessman like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or, or, or uh, maybe a famous inventor. Or wait, no. You ever notice how all famous inventors are dead guys? <laughs> Nobody wants to do that either. So we'll leave that one out. Um, if you could be anybody. Maybe you think along Christian lines. You know, it's more spiritual. I, I'd like to be somebody who could do something great for God. You know, a, a, a big evangelist like Franklin Graham or Greg Laurie or, or maybe one of those singers those who, who, who just bring so much encouragement and inspiration through their songs like, like uh, Lauren Diego or, or, or Mercy Me, you know, this type of thing. If you could be anybody in the world, who would you be? See, I think most of us maybe have had some dream somewhere along the line that we'd like to be somebody else, or at the very least, if not somebody else, just like someone else, right? We, we, we still want to be ourselves, but we want to be ourselves in a different way than we are right now, right? We want to have the gifts or the talents or the features or the money or, or, or whatever it is that someone else has. 
And probably by now, based on the introduction, you're guessing that the idea of being somebody else is really the wrong answer, right? If someone asked you who in the whole wide world would you want to be, the answer should be, I want to be me. And we should say that not just because we know we're supposed to say that and that's the right answer, but because we actually believe and, and know and are convinced that God really did know what he was doing when he made me, you. Of course, that starts with a belief that God actually did direct the building of you, which is what the Bible teaches and what we believe. Psalm 139 says of God, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, right? Uh, God uses normal physical processes to, to grow and develop a baby, and because of modern technology, we can actually, you know, see and, and watch how those processes work, but that doesn't mean that you are uh, a, cha- a product of just chance, random genes coming together. God was directing the very coding of your DNA to establish the specifics of who you would be. God is the one who wove you together, knit you together in your mother's womb. You are an original creation, and God has uniquely qualified you to be you. And nobody else can be you as good as you can. You ever think about that? Nobody else can be you as good as you can. But more than that, God has a plan. And in his plans for this entire universe, there is a niche that God has designed that only you can fill. And that makes you significant. So again, if the question is asked, who in the whole world would you want to be? The right answer is me. I want to be me. That's what we're all supposed to be able to say. But the truth is, there are many people who can't say that or who really struggle to say that. In fact, there are some who might say, you know, Pastor Mark, if you want to know the truth, I hate myself. Or maybe hate is really too strong of a word, but you really dislike yourself. You would want so much to be different. A different body, taller, shorter, thinner, faster, stronger, whatever. Or maybe you'd want to trade in your brain for one that worked better. My brain seems to be malfunctioning. Can't I get a better brain? You know, we wish we had something more. Or, Or we want to switch out our mediocre talents for skills that could really make a difference in this world. Or, or maybe we'd like to get rid of certain personality traits. You know, I, I wish I wasn't so shy or so boisterous or, or so melancholy or so excitable or whatever, right? There's stuff that we wish wasn't us and we'd want to trade out. 
I'm guessing that there are many here today who have had thoughts like that because, you know, those are very common thoughts. And one of our, our great struggles that we have is, is accepting ourselves just the way God made us. But, but more than just accepting ourselves, it's believing that you are significant and valuable because of the way God made you. I mean, it can be hard sometimes to look at ourselves, especially those things we don't like, and say, you know what? God made me this way for a purpose. So I want to be able to, to glorify Him in that. And we need to be able to get to that point where we say that because if we spend our lives trying to be something other than what God created us to be, we're going to be miserable. But if we spend our lives maximizing and, and, and taking advantage of the way God made us, then we'll find happiness and contentment. Which brings us to our passage in Judges chapter 3. So this passage uh, recounts the exploits of a man named Ehud. Um, I'm not really fond of the name Ehud. I hope nobody named their grandkid or their kid into Ehud. And I'm glad my parents didn't name me that. Maybe it was a popular name back there. I don't know. But I'm just glad I'm not Ehud. But Ehud teaches us a very valuable lesson in his story. This passage shows us how God used one man's difference, one man's uniqueness to deliver an entire nation. Now, that the nation in question is Israel. They, they were living in the promised land, but they were not doing well. Instead of following God and His ways and, and His laws, they were off doing their own thing in sin and rebellion against Him. And, and God had warned them that if they did that, if they, they lived in that kind of rebellion, then He would bring judgment to them specifically by raising up uh, other nations and allowing them to come in and overrun Israel and, and bring misery and grief that way. And that's exactly what uh, happened and what's going on here in Judges chapter 3. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek, and he went in and defeated Israel, and they possessed the city of palm trees. So this, this mark, this point here then, marked the beginning of a time of suffering and, and persecution for Israel. And, and eventually, they came to their senses, eventually being 18 years later, so they were s slow learners, they came to their senses and, and they cried out to God. And, and implicit in that idea of crying out to God is, is the idea of, of repentance and turning to Him. And, and so God acted on their behalf. Look at what we read in verse 15. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the son of, of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. 
Okay, so now this is one of those verses, like if you're reading through the Bible, uh, doing one of those things, and, and you come across this verse, it's, it's typically one that you just kind of zoom right by without even thinking about it. But this, this verse sets up the, the basis of the entire drama that's going to take place here. And, and so we need to, to look at it carefully. Uh, notice that it mentions that Ehud was a left-handed man. And I want you to understand that God doesn't mention details just for the fun of it, okay? He's not like a college student who is writing a paper and has a word count that you have to meet, and so you're filling it full of all kinds of fluff in order to get it there. God didn't have a word count. Everything that he put in was specific and, and, and significant and, and important for our details. So it says he was a, a, a left-handed man, Ehud lived in a day, in an age, when left-handedness was the sign of a defective person. It's not just that they thought that something was strange or, or wrong with you. They actually believed in the Jewish culture here that you were cursed from God if you were left-handed. It indicated to them a, a blemish on your character and, and that there was something wrong with you as a person if you were left-handed. Now, I, I, I want to point out real quickly uh, because about 10% uh, of the world is left-handed, so no doubt there are some in here who are, are left-handed, that in God's eyes, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being left-handed, right? Uh, we believe God created each and every person just as they are. We, we understand that, right? So, so please understand, this is not anything that has any basis in truth or biblical, but it is what the Jews believed. They thought it was a major defect, that there was something wrong with you, and therefore, there was a great deal of prejudice and discrimination against anyone who was left-handed. And, and, and this wasn't just... Jewish culture. I mean, just this is widespread in the ancient cultures, and it has come through even uh, in in modern times. We uh, we use the word gauche to describe a person who is socially awkward, uh, especially if they're like rude and crude. And I mean that that's a that's a miserable person. They're gauche. Did you know gauche is the French word for left-handed? What do, what do you think of when you hear the word sinister? Is this some creepy, evil villain who is plotting to do wickedness against you? But sinister is the Latin word for left-handed. We, we carry those things through. You see, historically, people have taken left hand and said that it was associated with wrong, with weakness, with dishonor, or even with evil. That's why when you extend fellowship to someone, you extend what? The right hand of fellowship. I, I didn't mention this in the first service, but I'll give you guys a bonus example here. Um, I, I didn't mention it because it's kind of gross, but we're going to get gross today anyway, so we'll do this. So uh, in, in the ancient times, uh, uh, you're using the restroom. You would never use your right hand, only your left hand, because the left hand was, was for doing disgusting, evil things. 
okay? Uh, that is one of the reasons why you wouldn't shake somebody's left hand, by the way, too, because uh, you never know where that hand's been. <laughs> so the Jews believed that a person was damaged by God in birth if they were left-handed. Because if you weren't damaged, obviously you'd be right-handed like you're supposed to be. And they believed that you were despised by God if you were left-handed. And if you're despised by God, well then obviously it's okay for us to despise you as well. And Ehud grew up in a society that viewed him that way. He could have easily become negative, bitter, disillusioned man. He could have given in to the belief that he would never get past this, this stigma that people attached to him, that, that he would never be acceptable in the eyes of others. I mean, can you imagine living your whole life with people saying, there's something wrong with you. You must be cursed by God. Verse 15 also states that Ehud was the guy that was selected to take this tribute, this payment money, to King Eglon. And maybe the immediate question that comes up with that then is, well, why Ehud? Well, there, there's a fair, we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us, but there's a fairly reasonable chance that the purpose is because nobody else wanted to do it, right? I mean, uh, you got this king who's murdered a whole bunch of you and hates all of you. Uh, who wants to go see him? Um, thanks, not me. And maybe Ehud spoke up. Maybe he got selected. We don't. Maybe he said he would, he would do it. And they're all like, yeah, let him take it because who cares what happens to him? Apparently, Ehud wanted this job because he had a plan. Look at, look at verse 16. And Ehud made himself a sword which had two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his cloak. Now, sword might conjure up the wrong image in, in your mind uh, but because this would be more like a very thin, um, easily hidden dagger, a, a dirk, uh, but a little longer than a normal one. The hilt and all uh, would have been about 20 inches long. And notice where he put this sword. And when you're wearing a sword, you put it on the outside of your cloak, because otherwise it's pretty tough to get to. And you always put it on your left side, because you use your right hand to grab your sword and get it out. Nobody, including Eglon's bodyguards, would have been looking for something hidden on the right leg. So we're told that Ehud and those who were going with him to transport this tribute to Eglon went to give him the money, verse 17. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. I'm just reading the Bible. Okay. Again, tell you, God doesn't give us details just for the fun of it. Each thing is significant. 
This doesn't say that Eglon was stout or pleasantly plump. He wasn't a little chubby or maybe somewhat overweight. Even the words portly or hefty would not do him justice. The Hebrew word for very is exceedingly. Eglon was exceedingly fat. This from a culture that actually valued being overweight, right? That's the exact opposite of our current culture. Back then, if, if you were overweight, if, if you had some extra meat on your bones, that was seen as a sign of favor from God. But this guy went way, way beyond the normal fat guy. He was exceedingly fat. Why, why does God emphasize Eglon's obesity? What difference would that make? Well, let's keep going on the story and we'll find out, right? After dropping off the tribute, Ehud and the gang head back to Israel. But after they had gotten a certain distance away from the, the palace, a safe distance away for the crew, uh, Ehud says he's going back. He's turned around. Uh, he's got something to do. And he heads back to the palace uh, all by himself. And he then tells Eglon that he has a secret message for him. Well, this you know plays right into Eglon's uh, pride as, as this king and this ruler, and so he sends his guards out of the room because he didn't see anything as a threat from Ehud. And uh, then Ehud says that this secret message is a message from God. And uh, the, the custom at the time, especially in those pagan countries, uh, where anytime you were supposed to receive a message from any of the gods, is that you would stand and that's exactly what Eglon does, and that's exactly what Ehud was hoping he would do. As this exceedingly fat man worked his way up to a standing position, that gave Ehud time to, to uh, sneak the dagger off his right thigh with his left hand. If he had done something with his right hand to reach, Eglon, who was a warrior king before he kind of ate himself out of a job, was, he would have known what was going on and, and, and would have called for help. But a guy doing something with his left hand would not have been threatening. And as he's getting up, he takes that out and plunges it into the stomach of Eglon. Verse 23 or 22 describes it this way. The handle also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade and he did not draw the sword out of his belly and the refuse came out. It's a little gross, like I said, but just so we all know what's going on, let's, t let's take a clear picture of it here. <laughs> so when Ehad stabbed Eglon, the entire blade, a cubit length, elbow to fingertip, plus the hilt, went in. Obviously, the hilt would be uh, Ehud's fist into there. So all the way in, through the fat, into the vital organs. But then the fat closed in around everything, and he couldn't pull the hilt the sword back out. So he just let go and pulled his hand out. Left the sword in there. And then the refuse came out. Again, God doesn't give us unimportant details. I kind of like the King James Version for this verse because it says, and the dirt came out. That's a very polite way 
of saying Eglin pooped his pants. He filled his drawers, and remember this was a big guy, and, and we're given this detail for a reason. What's the reason? Well, let's keep going with the story, and then we'll find out. Ehud, after killing the king, locked the doors where he was in the room and snuck away. After a little while, the guards begin to get a little fidgety and worried uh, of what's going on and taking so long, and so they decide to go check on Eglon. And when they come to the room, they find the doors locked. But rather than getting in a panic and knocking down the doors right away, they come to a different conclusion. Verse 24 says, Oh, he is only relieving himself in the cool of the room. Why would they come to that conclusion? Because they could smell the dirt that fell out. And they're not going to interrupt the king while he's doing his business. I mean, who wants to interrupt anybody doing that, right? So they just let him be. And they let him be for a long enough time for Ehud to make his escape. Long story short, the assassination of King Eglon gave Israel courage to, to raise up a rebellion against him. And under Ehud's leadership, they were able to defeat the Moabites and, and their country uh, was freed and they lived in peace and prosperity then for many years again after that. And this all happened because one man who carried the burden of being different of being looked down upon as defective, even maybe cursed by God because of his physical body, was used by God to bring about this great victory. Ehud was uniquely qualified for this mission exactly because of the way God had made him, because he was different, because he was left-handed in a culture that didn't prize left-handedness so was hidden, he could do what others could not. And here's the deal. We need to understand that, that this principle is the same today, is true for us as well. In fact, just three quick points that I think we can get out of this story that we need to put in our own lives. Number one, God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. Let that sink in for just a minute. Think of yourself. Think of those things that you don't like, that you wish were different. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. Perhaps you've heard that old saying, says God don't make no junk. And it's true. Ehud no doubt felt like God had done him wrong. I imagine there were many times when he was growing up where he, he, he said, God, why did you make me like this? As he was suffering the prejudice, the discrimination, the mockery, the making fun of from others. And maybe you've uttered that same question. So can you settle in your heart and in your mind that you are exactly what God designed? 
Now, now understand, uh, we're not talking about character and holiness. Those are, those are things that, that we always need to continually work on as, we're, as God's helped uh, us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. But in terms of who you are, your body, your core personality traits, you are who you are because that's who God made you to be. Second point, God can use what might seem to be a limitation or even a defect in the eyes of others to his advantage and his glory. Just because the world or society may despise or mock or make fun of us, that doesn't mean that we should live defeated and view that thing as a detriment. One of the most powerful speeches that I ever heard was given by a man named David Ring. Uh, 20-some years ago, Fernando and I went to a Bible conference in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute, and, and uh, during the course of the, the weekend, they introduced to this speaker, David Ring, and, uh, and he began his message, and as he started his message, you could barely understand a word he said, I had never heard. I mean, there's 5,000 men in, in this auditorium, huge auditorium, and it just this hush fell over because everyone was trying to strain to understand what this guy was saying because his speech was so slurred because he had cerebral palsy. And not only did he have a very difficult time speaking, but it limited his mobility his muscle control, all those things for him to be able to, to do a normal life, he couldn't. And society looked down on him as defective. But God looked at him as a beloved child. And to this day, after all these years, I, I remember one phrase that this David Ring used multiple times in his message. He said, I have cerebral palsy what's your problem and then he went on to say that whatever you view as your defect as your limitation is not a liability in God's hands which leads right to point number three capitalize on who you are let God use you as he has made you. Because this, this David Ring was, had submitted himself to God, he, this guy who struggled to even talk in a manner where people could understand him was used as a powerful speaker who brought thousands of people to Christ and who encouraged and challenged tens of thousands of Christians to stop making excuses and let God use them. Don't worry about what you don't have. Don't compare yourself to others wishing you had what they had. Instead, turn your life over to God and say, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm yours. And don't Worry about your limitations. God's going to take care of those. And you know, if you do that, 
I guarantee you, you don't have to worry about self-esteem. Your significance is in the fact that God made you and in what God wants to do in you and through you. Limitations and all. Because God is not limited by us. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you again for the encouragement of your word. Thank you for the love that you have shown and given the mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. And God, we are so tempted to look at ourselves and especially to look at the negative and to get down on that. So God, teach us to look at you and what you want to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.